Thank you. And a Merry Christmas to everybody. I just want to say thank you for every one that's packed a box. Um, these boxes go to children in some of the more poor areas of the world. Uh, kids that are in war, famine. Um, some of them live in garbage dumps. Uh, it's just incredible where these kids live. And when we give, this, give them a box, first of all, for most of these children, they've never had a gift, okay? And when you give them the gift, you have an opportunity to share something with them. And I want the children of the world to know that God loves them and He hasn't forgotten them. I want the children to know that God sent His Son from heaven to this earth to rescue them. That if they put their faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, that they could have eternal life. I want the kids of the world to know that. I want you to know that. I want everyone to know that. That God loves us and does care for us. So, let me just give, I want to give you some numbers. Now, these numbers are a little hard to understand because they're big numbers. But for 25 years, now this church has been a part of Operation Christmas Child for 24 years. Uh, the first year, it was just one church did it. And then the second year, it was three churches. Uh, Calvary Church in Charlotte, here in Albuquerque, and Greg Laurie in Riverside. That was year number two, just three churches. But since those humble beginnings, in 25 years, this year, counting 2018, we will have delivered 168 million shoeboxes in 25 years. Now, that's something God has done, okay? Not, not Franklin Graham. It's something God has done. But he's done it through churches like this, through you. And I just want to say thank you for every box, for every opportunity. Uh, we don't just stop with a box. Uh, we want to disciple children, okay? Children that give their hearts to Christ. Uh, we want to try to expose them to the Scripture. We want to uh, help them memorize Scripture. We want to teach them how to share their faith. So in uh, 2010, eight years ago, we started a 12-week discipleship program. Uh, through the local churches in these countries. We've had 19 million children graduate from this program called The Greatest Journey in eight years. Something God has done, okay? Not something that we've done. This next uh, year, we're going to focus on the Pacific. We, we, we go to 157 countries, but we're, we always are trying to expand and the Pacific is filled with islands, hundreds of islands, thousands of islands, with groups of people living on these islands. And we're going to try to go to a thousand islands in five years, okay? We're, General MacArthur during the Second World War, uh, they started uh, in the Solomons, the battle at Guadalcanal. And then they went from there, they, they went island hopping across the Pacific. Well, I told our guys, listen, if General MacArthur can do this, uh, we can do this. Uh, we're just carrying shoeboxes. And so we're going to go to the Solomon Islands, the Caroline Islands. We're going to go up uh, to the Gilbert Islands. We're going to the Marshall Islands. So we're going to just a number, a thousand islands uh, in the next five years. And many of these islands, the kids are so poor, uh, they have nothing. 
And the Pacific is kind of a, a forgotten area of the world because it is so remote. Islands are difficult to get to. And uh, we have to ship them in shipping containers. Then we break them down into small boats. And, or sometimes we put them on a small plane and go land on a beach. So it's going to take a, a little bit of logistics to do it. But that's where we're going to start uh, next year. We're going to stay, start a focus on going to the Pacific uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My, my father-in-law uh, uh, fought. He was a Marine, fought in two campaigns, one on Tarawa. And then he was in Saipan, was wounded on Saipan. And um, so I thought, you know, if men like that, my father-in-law could go over there and fight for our country and fight against the Japanese, why don't we go back with shoeboxes filled with love and give them to the children of that region of the world and let them know that we love them and God hasn't forgotten them. So thank you for every, for every, every box. Uh, this time last year, my father was still living. And um, this is our first Christmas and Thanksgiving without him. Uh, when he was uh, 90, my mother just died. So he said, uh, Franklin, um, and he told all of his children, I'm going to live to be 95. Well, I didn't think he had lived six months after my mother died. He loved her so much, and his life was so entwined with her life. I mean, I didn't believe him, and none of the rest of us kids believed him. Well, when he turned 95, he moved the goalpost. He said, I'm going to live to be 100. Well, I believed him. Well, his birthday is on November 7th uh, and 1918, and he died on the 21st uh, of uh, February 2018, in his 100th year. Didn't make it to his birthday. So the president called uh, that day and to give his condolences, Franklin. Sorry to hear about your dad, and we really enjoyed you. You know, he's done all. He said, well, he almost made it, didn't he? I said, he made it, Mr. President. He said, he did? What do you mean? I said, well, he died in February. His birthday's November, but if you add nine months, you're in November. You see, life begins at conception. All right? He made it to a hundred. Why God left him here so long, I have no clue. Uh, but God had a reason, God had a purpose, and he had a long life, a great life. Uh, we miss him, but you know, the work goes on. Uh, and my father's life was focused on preaching the gospel, wanting to tell men and women about a Savior about the Lord Jesus Christ who came from heaven to this earth to take our sins, that he died on a cross for our sins, he was buried for our sins, that God raised him to life. And if a person would confess their sins and repent, turn, and believe by faith on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God would forgive our sins and heal our hearts. And that was the message he preached, and this is the message I want to share with you this morning. God loves you. I don't know who you all are, but I know God knows everything about you. He knows everything about your life. Not only does He know what's going on, He knows what you're thinking in your mind. He knows everything that you've done. And He loves you. But our sins separate us from God. And maybe you're here today and maybe um, your life's upside down. Maybe it's a mess. Maybe you don't know where to go or what to do. Uh, I was at that point in my life when I was 22 years old. I was... Uh, listen, I was raised in a church. I went to a church. Now, our church 
If you just take this one section and go about halfway back, cut it off. That was the size of our church, okay? Little tiny Presbyterian church. I went to church every Sunday, but I was lost. And my life was a mess. And I was living in sin. And finally, at age 22, I just called out to God. I said, God, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But if you can just take the pieces of my life and if you can put it together and if you can make sense out of my life, it's yours. Take it. And that night I prayed that prayer. I meant it when I prayed that prayer. And that night God forgave me. Now, I'm still a sinner, okay? But I've been forgiven because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Gave my life to Him. So if if you're here this morning and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven... I'm going to give you that opportunity in a few moments. So you get ready to come. I'm going to invite you to get up out of your chair and come stand right here, and we'll have a word of prayer together. And you can leave this morning knowing that your sins are forgiven and that your soul is secure in the hands of Almighty God. So you prepare to come. If you're here today and you're not sure, you make sure before you leave, okay? So you be thinking about that these next few minutes. I want to talk to you about how to prepare for the coming storm, okay? Um, we're working out in uh, Paradise, California, where the fire, the campfire just went through. Uh, that, that, that town, really, it's called Paradise. But it turned into a living hell in just a matter of minutes when that fire came through. That fire destroyed everything. It's destroyed people's homes, their personal things. Um, we've got teams of people out there. Samaritan's Purse has responded to all the fires this summer in California. We're there right now. But we can't get into paradise to help the homeowners sift through the ashes because uh, they're still looking for bodies. There's still hundreds of people unaccounted for. It's incredible what happened in paradise. But you see, God is a God of love, but He's a God of judgment, okay? And His judgment is going to come on this country one day. And what happened in paradise is nothing, nothing compared to what God is going to do for those that have rejected His Son and have refused His Son. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, you may want to turn. Uh, Luke 17 and uh, verse 28 through 30. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down. And it will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And in verse 32, it says, remember Lot's wife. God speaking about the future and Second Peter says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Why did Jesus tell us to remember Lot's wife? First of all, remember who Lot was. He was the nephew of Abraham. And Abraham had left Ur the Chaldees, had gone up to Haran, was living there. And um, God called him Haran to go to Canaan. He said, I want to show you a land that I'm going to give you and I'm going to give your descendants. 
And so uh, he goes, he takes his wife, takes all his herds, and he takes his nephew, Lot, and Lot's wife. And so they go uh, down to Canaan, they go through Canaan, they end up in Egypt, then they come back from Egypt, and they're back in Canaan, back in Bethel, and now both have become very rich. Abraham's rich, and Lot's very rich. And the Bible says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The God says, woe to those who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. And so both of these men are rich. And they begin to quarrel, the herdsmen with Lot. His herdsmen began to quarrel with Abraham's herdsmen. The reason is they were so rich, they had so much wealth, so many animals, that the land could not support it. There was enough grazing land for all of this. And so Abraham, being older and wiser, it goes to Lot say, Listen, you know, we don't need this headache. We're family. We're family. We don't need to be quarreling. Your herdsmen don't need to be quarreling with mine. We don't need to be quarreling. So listen, Lot, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. We just need to separate. Or if you go right, I'll go left. It doesn't matter to me, but there's just too many of us now to stay together. So Lot looked down on the well-watered plains of the Jordan Valley. The Bible says it looked like the garden of God. It was so rich and so lush. And Lot said, I'm going down there. And so he went. And he pitched his tent near Sodom and Gomorrah. And he took all of his herds, all of his animals. He went there. And that's where he lived. And so he chose the Jordan. And so what kind of city was Sodom? Kind of like Wall Street, maybe. They, were, they had a lot of success financially. It was probably a little bit like Vegas. It was a pretty rough town, morally speaking. Very wicked city. The Bible says this about Sodom. It says, Behold, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. It was arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty. They did detestable things before me. And I think about our country today. I think, you know, we have become arrogant. Uh, we've become overfed and unconcerned. There's so much more we could do to help the poor. That we, We're the richest country on the face of this earth. So much we could do and we don't do. I think God is going to judge us one day because of this. They were haughty and they did detestable things before me. That's what God says, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I think of our nation, the detestable things we do. Think of abortion. That's right, abortion. Abortion is murder. Now, there may be some of you ladies, and listen to me. You may have had an abortion. You may be guilty, and maybe it has haunted you every day since. But I'm here tonight or today to tell you God will forgive you. But you've got to come to Him in repentance. And in faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to do that this morning, God will forgive you. I promise you that. But abortion is a sin. It's a sin. You say, well, Franklin, it's illegal. Yeah, it's legal. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. It's wrong. It's a sin before God. And God is going to judge this nation for the murder of the millions of children that we have allowed to take place in this country. Drugs is a huge problem in our country. 
Alcohol is becoming a bigger, bigger problem every day. Our nation is in trouble. But we have allowed sex perversion to come into our country. And I am here to tell you that God, God gave sex, okay? God wants us to use sex. I uh, want you to enjoy sex, but it's to be used in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. It's not to be used outside of marriage. It's not to be used between two women. It's not to be used between two men. This is sin and is detestable to God. Okay? That's what it is. So would you look at the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? We are just as guilty. Maybe more guilty. Because we, we, we've got the scripture today. We know better. God sees. He saw Sodom and he sees you. He sees each and every one of us here. They had a false sense of security. They had military power. They had economic strength. But yet they sought sinful pleasure. And that's what we're doing today. With drugs and alcohol and sex, pornography is one of the biggest problems in the churches today. And let me tell you, if you think you can look at pornography and be okay, I've heard people say, oh, but that helps our marriage. No, it doesn't. That's a lie from the devil himself. It's a lie. It will destroy you. It's a cancer. And those images that you watch, that you see, you can't get it out of your mind. And the only way that can be removed is through Christ. That's the only way. And there are many of you here, you've been guilty. And, you know, and it's so easy to get today. You can pull it down on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. You, it's, it's there. And the devil will make sure it's very easy for you to get. But I can tell you, it's one of the big problems in the churches today. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. For a season. And that's true. I, I, I enjoyed uh, sin. And there was pleasure for a season. But then there's that day you wake up and you realize you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You wake up and you realize my life is a mess. You wake up and you realize my life is upside down. And I'm destroying myself and I don't know where to go or what to do. And that's when I called out to God. Take me, save me, forgive me. Take the pieces of my life and put it back together. You can have it. And if you're willing to call that, call on t- today and say, God, here's my life. Take it. Put it back together. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. God will do that for you this, today. They were too busy for God in Sodom. Too busy. If you notice that our country has gotten, we're so busy. And you know, we all got these computers and smartphones and all this technology, and we think it's supposed to make our life easier. Those things are time robbers. Have you ever gone out to a meal and you just notice how many people, families, children got theirs, they're doing this. You know, the wife's over there, she's doing this. The dad, he's over there doing that. Nobody's talking to anybody. They're all out there just, it's a time robber. They didn't have time for God. What have you put your trust in? They participated in Sodom and sexual perversion. One of the last pitfalls that a nation takes before judgment comes is sexual perversion. And that's where we are here today. And Paul writes in Romans, They knew all the time that there is a God, yet they refused to acknowledge Him as such, or to thank Him as such, or to thank Him for what He is or does. They plunged their silly minds still further into the dark. Behind the facade of wisdom, they became just fools. Therefore, God gave them up to be the playthings of their own foul desires, dishonoring their own bodies. God, therefore, had them over to the disgraceful passions, receiving in themselves the due penalty 
for their perversion. I think about sexually transmitted diseases today. And it's an epidemic in our country, especially among young people. The Bible says, he who sins sexually sins against their own body. Lot was unhappy. He was miserable. He knew he was at the wrong place. And when he set his tents down there and uh, began to invest, I'm sure he bought buildings and property and began to uh, develop uh, his livelihood. All of a sudden, he, he got to the point where he couldn't get out. And all of this sin was going around him. And, and he probably just compromised and just, oh, well, you know, maybe I can be a witness. Maybe I can be a testimony. I'll, I'll, maybe he was. I don't know. But this city was completely wicked and God heard about it in heaven. And it's easy for us to compromise and say, oh, everybody else is doing, everybody else cheats on their taxes. Everybody else lies. That's okay. Everybody else not having a little sex on the side. You know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, that's okay. And so he probably justified it. But is there something missing in your life? Is there a sense of guilt? There's a reason, and it's because of sin. And the clouds of God's judgment were gathering over Sodom. And many people want to present God as a God of love. He is a God of love. He loves us, and He's willing to forgive us. But he's also a God of judgment. He's going to judge sin. He's going to judge this world one day. The Bible says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and to destroy sinners within. The Bible says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth of their wickedness. The Bible teaches that God's wrath one day will be poured out on this world for the rejection of His Son, Jesus Christ. God warns Sodom. He sends two angels. Now, these angels don't have wings with white feathers like they like to portray on television or artists write or draw. They're just two men. But they were angels. God sent them. And they come into to town, and Lot is sitting at the gate of the city, and he notices these men. Lot knows what kind of wicked city this is and the trouble these men might be in. So he says, men, please, my lords, come stay at my house. Let me feed you, and you can stay at my house, and then in the morning when the sun comes up, you can be on your way. They said, no, we're just going to stay in the square. No, don't do that. Please come to my house. He was so insistent that the men finally gave him, okay, we'll come. And so Lot feeds them. They're getting ready to go to bed. And then the Bible says that all the men of the city, all the men of the city, male men, young and old, surrounded the house and began to demand that Lot send those men out to them so they could have sex with them. And Lot went outside and said, Men, this is, this is wrong. These are strangers. They have just come to my home. They're my guests under my protection. This is an evil, wicked thing. And they said, Who are you to judge us? You're a stranger yourself. We're going to do worse to you than we are to them. And they tried to grab him, but the angels reached out the door and pulled Lot in, closed the door, and then he struck all the men of the city with blindness. They were groping for the door. They didn't know where they were. And they finally left. And then these angels said, God has sent us here to destroy this city, and we're going to destroy it. 
but we have been told to take you and your family out of here. You see, Lot was a righteous man. He was in the wrong place, but he was a righteous man. And God saved his life. God doesn't judge the righteous and the unrighteous together. He judges them separately. And so the angel said, we're going to destroy this city. God has heard. He's heard. And he's going to destroy it. But you're to get out. Who in this city belongs to you? Well, these are my daughters. Here's my wife. And I've got two son-in-laws that pledged to be married. Go get them. Go get the boys. They come in. Lot tells them, God's going to destroy this place. We've got to get out of here tonight. They laughed at him. <laughs> Laugh. He's, he's, he's going to destroy this place? What have you been smoking? That's not going to happen. Oh, really? And then when the sun came up, the angels told Lot, get out of here now. Go now. And he was a little slow. The angels grab him by the hands, grab the daughters and get the Lot's wife, and, and they take them out of the city. Run to the mountains, get out of here, because we cannot do anything until you're safe. And Lot said, oh, if, if I go to the mountains so far away up there, and maybe something bad would happen. There's a little town over there in the distance, Zor. Let me go to Zor, and let me be safe there. The angel said, okay, we won't destroy Zor, but you go. Get out of here now. Go. And whatever you do, do not look back. Go. And they left, and they ran towards Zor. And then the Bible says the heavens opened up, and fire and brimstone came down and began to burn and devour the city. And just as they were getting ready to step into the city, Lot's wife disobeyed. She just looked back just for a minute. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Why salt? I have no clue. It was just whatever. That was probably on God's mind that day. I'm just going to turn you into a pillar of salt. But her life came to an end instantly. She disobeyed. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Remember her. Remember judgment. Why did he say this? Remember, she was the wife of Abraham's nephew. She grew up in Abraham's tent. She had seen God work many, many times. She had seen God do miracles in Abraham's life. Abraham's a man of God. She had seen all of this. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. It seemed like such a small thing. All she did was just look back over her shoulder just for a second, just one little glance. But it represented something deeper. It represented unbelief over many years. It represented rebellion against God probably on many occasions. God in His mercy was giving her another chance. And He'll give you a chance today. An opportunity. But you've got to make a choice. You see, she had a choice. Don't look back. Just go to Zor. You'll be safe. Don't look back. Just get to Zor. You'll be safe. One little glance, and her life came to an end. God has given you another chance today. It's your choice. Remember, she was almost saved at the gates of Zor, the city of refuge. A few more steps. Remember, she was offered salvation. Today, you're being offered salvation. Christ is that place of safety and refuge. 
The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, but Franklin, why Jesus? Why Christ? The Bible tells us that God loves us, doesn't he? All of us have sinned. I'm a sinner, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ. I've had people say, well, what happens to all these Muslim people? What happened to all the Hindu people? I can tell you, if a, if a Muslim repents of his sin and believes on the name of Jesus Christ, he's going to be saved. But he's not going to be a Muslim anymore. He's going to be a child of God. That's what he'll be. A Hindu person, he can repent of his sin and Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll be saved or she'll be saved. But they're no longer Hindus anymore. They're a child of God at that point. And I'm not here to talk about religion with you. I'm here how you can have a relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you can be sure right now. Wherever you are, I'm just going to ask you, just ask yourself, be honest. Are my sins forgiven? Am I sure? If you're not sure, you can be. You can be sure today. God is going to judge this world soon. He's going to judge it. And He's judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He wiped that whole city where it doesn't even exist today. It's gone. He destroyed it. And He's going to do this one day to this world for this sin and this rejection of His Son. But He's willing to save He's willing to forgive. He's willing to offer salvation. He's willing to give us another chance. But you've got to make a choice to accept Christ. You can reject Him. And judgment's coming. But if you're willing to accept by faith the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in Him, God will forgive you. He'll heal you. You can have a new life and a new beginning. But it's up to you. So I'm going to just ask you, if you're here this morning and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, no better time than to do it right now. And uh, I'm going to ask you to get up and come stand in front of this platform. And uh, when you've all come, I'm going to have a word of prayer with you. And then you can go back to be with your seats. But you're not coming to Franklin Graham. I can't save you. You're coming this morning to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to save you. But you have to obey and the only way to God is through Jesus. There's no other way. So would you like to do that? Well, just get up. Let's, just, let's all stand to our feet. It's a little easier for people to come. But stand and if you're not sure, just get up right now and make your way to the front right here. And then stand. We'll have a word of prayer when you come. Wherever you are, just come on. I have decided follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
anyone else. Come on. Wherever you are, just come on. You may be outside. You may be up in the balcony. Wherever you are, just come on. You're not coming to me, Franklin Graham. You're coming to God. This is between you and God. You come on right now. Settle this once and for all. Make sure your soul is secure in the hands of God. Come on. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. Decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Anyone else? Anyone else, God loves you, and God is willing to forgive sin. He, he, he spared Lot. He gave his wife a chance. She was almost saved. I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be almost saved. I want to make sure you're saved. Your sins are forgiven, that your soul is secure in the hands of God. If you're not sure, do it right now. Do it quickly. And then we're going to have just a word of prayer in just a minute. But come. Anyone else? We want to wait just another minute. Anyone else? Okay. God bless you, buddy. going to ask Danny and Dennis to play softly just for another minute. And let's all be in an attitude of prayer. Pray for the person to the right or to the left. Front of you, back of you. But if there's anyone else, do it right now. You may never have another chance. This may be your last opportunity. Do it right now. We're going to wait just another minute. Then we'll have a word of prayer. to say a word to those of you that have come. 
By coming, you're saying to God, I'm a sinner. You say, well, Franklin, doesn't God know that? Yeah, he knows that. But he wants to hear you say it, okay? It's called confession. Just confessing, just coming into an agreement with God. And by coming, you're saying to God, you're sorry, and that you want to turn from those sins. And by coming, you're saying to God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died for me on the cross, that you raised him to life, and I want to invite him to come into my heart to take control from this day forward. And I want to lead you in a prayer, okay? Now, prayer is just talking to God like I'm talking to you. And I just want you to repeat this prayer out loud with me, okay? I'll, do, I'll lead you in it. I'll help you with it. But uh, pray this prayer out loud after me. So let's pray. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I want to turn from my sins. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I want to trust him as my savior. I want to follow him as my Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.